Hello and salam. Welcome to The Muslim Viewpoint, a new podcast series brought to you by American Muslim Today. We are a groundbreaking nonprofit digital newspaper which champions civic engagement by informing and empowering the diverse voices of almost 30 million Muslims here in the US and other Western countries. I'm Rifat Malik. I am AMT's editor-in-chief. And today we have an interview with a man who has the distinction of recently being appointed to the Faith-Based Security Council by the Department of Homeland Security. Salam al-Mariati, president and co-founder of the Muslim Public Affairs Council, or MPAC, will join a group of more than 20 other members to advise the DHS secretary on ways to facilitate trust between the Muslim community and the government, as well as develop ways to ensure the safety and infrastructure of places of worship. Well, earlier this week, he spoke to AMT's reporter, Hadiya Spahalic. It entails what the title uh, indicates, and that is we are there to advise the Secretary of Homeland Security on issues pertinent to our Muslim community, um, as other faith leaders will do the same for their communities. So the issues that are important to us are protecting our houses of worship, our mosques. Do we have enough of an infrastructure to support the mosques and secure them? Uh, what are the recommendations we can give to, get to the government to enhance security for the mosques? How Muslims feel uh, about security and being securitized, which is the other side of the issue. In other words, are we securitizing mosques too much? And they're feeling like they're always under the scrutiny of the government and Big Brother is watching what we need to do to alleviate those fears and and to reform policies so in actuality it's not happening. These are the kinds of issues that I'm thinking about right now as we begin deliberating as a commission. And <clears throat> I know as one of the co-founders and as president of MPAC, you guys have done a lot of work to tackle stereotypes and kind of dismantle preconceived negative notions about Muslims. Um, in America. So can you tell me a little bit about some of the campaigns you and your organization have undertaken and the kind of impact that they've had? Well, I, I think the first objective that we had 35 years ago when we started the Muslim Public Affairs Council is to create a new line of leaders. And I'm very proud of the work that we've done in the Young Leaders Program that we have uh, developed, we've supported, we've funded we guided, and now you, you see uh, a culture of leadership in our community uh, from Muslims in their 20s and 30s. That in and of itself changes people's perceptions about our community. That in and of itself enhances the public understanding of Islam. We are pivoting from the frame on Islam being co coming from the Middle East to the frame of Islam coming from within America. And so strategically, we had made that decision and we see the fruition of that now with many faces of Islam uh, throughout the country. And that in and of itself has improved the public understanding of Islam. Secondly, of course, is the media. The media in terms of news media now, social media, Hollywood media, stories that are produced about Muslims, making better stories, making Muslims control their own narratives, 
on storytelling uh, about our community. That's something else that we've done through our Hollywood Bureau um, and through our engagement with media in general. The third aspect is t tackling the tough issues. Um, there are issues within uh, our community that people have uh, apprehensions about. Uh, for example, uh, we just did a, a podcast about child marriage and that it is unfounded in the Quran. Unfortunately, the main opponents that we have in delivering that message are Muslims themselves who believe that Aisha radiallahu anha was married as a child and, and so on and so forth. So uh, we have to go into our own religion and develop a better understanding uh, of the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, and, uh, and our understanding of the Quran for that matter, and some of the things that are used to oppress women, to oppress minorities, to violate religious freedom, to uh, promote violence. These are the issues that need reform. And it's not changing the Quran or the Sunnah. It is changing our understanding in a way that aligns with the Islamic ethics taught to us by the Prophet Muhammad, blessings be upon him. And they are the ethics of human dignity, uh, of decency, of, giving pe of being the ones who protect people's rights. Uh, and, and unfortunately, that is not the image that is emanating uh, from the Muslim world today. We all know the problems. These are things that need changing in order to improve public understanding of Islam and Muslims. <clears throat> I do have a couple follow-up questions uh, about your answer here. You mentioned several um, organizations, uh, not organizations, but several groups and bureaus within your organization. Can you tell me a little bit about the Young Leaders Program and the Hollywood Bureau specifically? Sure. The Young Leaders Program has been something that we've had for about 20 years. Um, and we would take young Muslims to Washington and we had a young leaders summit and we'd bring 20 of them and, and for a week we would orient them on MPAC's mission. The, the basis of it is Islam. What are the Islamic principles that drives MPAC? Um, and then how we engage with government. And so we would go take them to the White House and the Congress and think tanks and the partner organizations. And that would give them a new way of looking at Washington, that Washington is not our enemy, but is simply a tool. And, and how to use that tool to benefit our community. From that, we developed the Congressional Internship Program called CLDP, Congressional Leadership Development Program. And you can find it on the website, cldp.org. And CLDP is now an eight-week program where Congress asks us to find internships for Muslims. We go in and have a selection process where we find the best and the brightest and take them to Washington. We give them housing. We give them a stipend. We also train them on how Washington works. They work in the day on the Hill in Congress, and then at night we have meetings and classes for them. That is a very intense program. Some of them then um, graduate to actually become staff people 
in Washington, D.C. So we're building a Muslim brain trust for Washington. Mm -hmm. That's the idea. Mm -hmm. Then we have fellowships where we uh, bring in young Muslims, give them stipends uh, and, and grants so that they study very particular specific issues involving healthcare, education, national security, and civil liberties. So that is the Young Leaders Program in uh, our organization, what we call now the Young Leaders Institute. Mm -hmm. And the Hollywood Bureau? The Hollywood Bureau uh, is a continuous effort of bringing young Muslim talent, screenwriters, uh, and also as people who can pitch stories, who would get their stories not only heard but accepted. And so we would have writing labs, we would have screenwriters workshops, we would have uh, other networking opportunities with their studios um, and bring that um, talent to Hollywood. So we're actually building a Muslim brain trust for Hollywood, just like we're doing for Washington. Earlier, we were talking about some issues that Muslims might have been facing. Um, and I want to touch on another why do you think there is still that Islamic or Muslim extremism um, perception in the U.S. that Muslims are kind of the root of terrorism and the problem of terrorism when research shows that it's white nationalism now that's much more pervasive? Well, it, that, that's, that's a PR problem. And let's face it, uh, our enemies have invested more in PR than we have. Um, and when I mean by PR... Uh, I don't mean, you know, public relations is a very important issue for us to study as Muslims. The Quran stipulates that part of the zakat can be used to soften the hearts of others. So the question for us is where do we allocate our budget in softening the hearts of others? Uh, and how do we engaged others we tend to speak only to ourselves which amounts to just crying on each other's shoulders or blaming each other for the problems and we just get depressed the Quran gives us a mechanism to get out of that rut it says use your zakat money to engage the others it says repel evil with good so that the one with whom there's enmity becomes as if he's your closest and warmest friend and we're just not applying those Quranic uh, mandates. So our approach then is that we have to invest in engaging others. So it's not necessarily PR like we write a press release and and uh, we go and 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 schmooze, schmooze with uh, Hollywood and and New York executives and media and try to get uh, polished stories uh, about us. No. It's about changing hearts and minds within media so that they become our allies. That we, we convert them from being our, our political opponents or political enemies to becoming our allies and, and political friends. Building that alliance will then help leverage media in a way to get better stories told about Muslims. So that's one reason. The other reason is because we have enemies 
And if we didn't have, if those enemies did not do their jobs, they would be replaced with other people who become better enemies to us. In other words, there are people who do not like Islam and Muslims having a strong voice in America. Because that means they would have to share the, the power. They would have to cut up the, the political pie. And we would have our peace. Keith Ellison said, you better have a seat at the table because if you're not at the seat at the table, you will be the menu at the table. People will eat you up. So it's not rocket science. We know what's happening. We know why. We just have to think about what we need to do to change the, the dynamic. Uh, and just complaining of, about it in chuppahs uh, and blaming everybody uh, and not taking responsibility is not the way to change the situation. So that is how we feel that MPAC, Muslim Public Affairs Council and groups like MPAC now, we have an ecosystem of organizations working in that, are changing the culture so that we are respected and accepted and have a seat at the table. And now we, we are part of the, the decision-making process that in and of itself will change the perception um, that Muslims are the the the, the, uh, the, the ones to blame, uh, and terrorism is a Muslim problem, whereas everybody knows that it is actually uh, the the worst terrorists now are white and Christian. Um, they represent the largest threat to our national security, according to the FBI and the CIA and then the whole national security apparatus. The last thing I want to say about that <clears throat> is that we have to change the national security system in this country. The national security system that spends about a trillion dollars a year in fighting wars overseas and then having surveillance here is not giving us real security because of two problems. One, most of it is spent on fighting so-called Islamists. And then when that happens, that's all you hear about, people are afraid. Uh, and who are they afraid of? They're afraid of you and me. They're afraid of Muslims. We have to change that. We change that by providing an alternative. National security is one part of our policy. It should not be the predominant part of our policy. What we believe it should be predominant is human security. National security is how we secure the uh, state uh, apparatus and our alliances throughout the world. In other words, it's geopolitics. Why do we go to the Ukraine? Because of NATO. Why do we not care of Syria? Because there's no real oil uh, interests there. Um, and if anything, we don't, we don't want things to change in, in, in in Syria because that might change the situation in Israel, which is part of the geopolitical um, uh, setup. So let's not do anything in Syria. Um, why do we support uh, uh, a dictatorship in Egypt and a uh, monarchy in, in Saudi Arabia? Because they align with our uh, geopolitics, geopolitical interests. Why do we, why do we support uh, the the down, uh, the, the demise of Imran Khan in Pakistan because he does not support 
uh, military bases in his country that we can use, uh, the United States can use for geopolitical interests. That's our national security system. It's a mess. It needs an overhaul. It needs to be changed altogether. So that change to us is human security. Human security, which was established by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, talks about the freedom from fear. In other words, removing war and violence from these countries. It talks about the freedom from what? In other words, economic opportunity in those countries. It talks about freedom uh, of expression. In other words, if people say something about our policy, they should not be threatened. They should not be assassinated. Um, people are assassinated every day in Palestine. What are we saying about it? Nothing. We turn a blind eye to those assassinations. Uh, but when something happens in Iran, uh, oh my God, it's it's the end of the world. We And so people support what's happening in the revolution now in Iran, not because they care about Iran, but because of geopolitical interests. So these are the realities that we have to look at in changing, uh, and human security is, is the way to change it. Human security provides religious freedom. In other words, people can be um, uh, of, of a certain religious um, uh, conservative or liberal way without threat. So we have to change uh, our national security apparatus so that it's not used to fight uh, Muslims. It's not used for more wars against Muslims. And we still have that problem, even though we've, we've left Iraq as a country, left Afghanistan as a country, but that idea of war and that idea of fighting Islamic groups is still a big part of U.S. policy. And, and, and by the way, and that's what leads to people fearing Muslims. You cannot remove the gravity of the situation, even though we can, we can, we can repeat until we're blue in the face. Hey, white supremacist violence is the major threat to this country. Oh, people say, oh, okay. But then once somebody says Al Qaeda or ISIS or this, you might have one person in our neighborhood who might be, uh, uh saying, okay, Al Qaeda is this or that and shows, uh, uh, that we have to look at the policies that created Al-Qaeda and ISIS, the whole world turns upside down and says this guy might be sympathizing with terrorism. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that like a lot of Muslims um, and Muslim communities, as a result of all of this, have a strong distrust for the government and law enforcement because of things like, you know, the Patriot Act and the Muslim ban. And we also recently saw, you know, the Supreme Court side with the FBI in regards to the surveilling of Muslims. So how do you and the Faith-Based Security Council hope to facilitate and garner this trust between the Department of Homeland Security and these communities? Yeah, I, I think I think what we can do is exactly what you just said, is that if you point to these problems, say Muslims are still viewed as suspects. Mm -hmm. How can we view Muslims as partners and force uh, the Department of Homeland Security to review their policies and come up with uh, ways to build trust. There is no trust, uh, right? Very little trust, if any. So, so that's what we're we're intending to do. I have to tell you also, Alhamdulillah. You know, there are now Muslims working in the Department of Homeland Security 
thinking about these issues that you just uh, articulated and and going to their superiors in home asking saying we have to change this so we are in a better position now than we were four years ago uh, and people are looking at these issues to make changes so we still have the problems I'm not saying the problems are solved but there are more people inside our government that are working towards these problems I and I feel like that's the way to change uh, I understand there's a need to protest and there's a need to go to the court and sue the government on these issues I personally don't think that that's the way to solve the problem um, because as you just said the, the cards in the courts are still stacked against us right because all the government has to do is say well this is for national security reasons and the court says well the government has the right of national security we don't have any um, uh, any say in that the executive branch has the say in it the judicial branch does not this was the by the way this was the whole argument of the white house uh in the executive branch in um justifying uh japanese american internment camps and the, the famous case of uh, koromatsu the man who went and said that this was a violation of his civil rights his civil liberties uh in interning him the government said oh we had to do it for national security reasons and the court, Supreme Court, sided with the government. The same thing is happening to this day. So we should know that going into these cases. That's why I believe we have to create changes within the government first before we're going to see more victories in, in the courts on these issues. And there have been victories. I don't want to downplay it. And I'm not saying don't go, don't use the, the uh, litigation route. Definitely use it, but understand what the limitations are. We're, we're, we're utilizing the government engagement, the civic engagement route. And I think those two should work hand in hand. Mm. Does that make sense? Did I answer your question? Yes, thank you. Um, and as someone who has been involved in Muslim advocacy work since the 80s, um, how far do you think Muslims have come in terms of electoral and civic engagement? And what more do you think needs to be done? We've come a long way, but we've only scratched the surface. I mean, before, who would imagine? I, what is it now? About 15 or 20 Muslims are now in state houses. Mm -hmm. um, we've never had that before. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we've never had uh, three, three Muslims in the U.S. Congress, and both, not both uh, Carson, uh, Andrew Carson, Alhan Omar, and uh, uh, Rashida Tlaib all won their reelection. Keith Ellison won re-election by very uh, thin, narrow margin uh, to remain as Attorney General for the state of Minnesota. The only Attorney General in the, in the country that has won a case against police brutality, I believe. So we've come a long way, and alhamdulillah, uh, it's, it's a, you know, looking back from where we were to where we are now, uh, we, it's, it's, we're, we've, we've, it's leaps and bounds that we've made progress in that arena. But at the end of the day, when you count how many of us there are in that arena and how many others there are, we're still uh, very few. And, and, and we might just be very few because we're only 1% of the population. So we have to think strategically, what are the strategic alliances we need in our country, including alliances with people that may have been our opponents in the past, like evangelicals. Um, 
because there are evangelicals that want to engage with Muslims. So how can we engage them and develop alliances? Uh, we did a story of somebody in Lubbock, Texas, a woman who saved lives during COVID. We called the movie The Healer because not only did she heal people from this, uh, from the virus, but she healed people in terms uh, of spiritual and social rejuvenation and healing the country. That's the approach we need to take to use our successes and leverage them so that it disproportionately uh, benefits society and we are seen as a benefit and that will give us more security and more success in the long run. Well, so it's only really about leadership. How are Muslims leaders in politics, leaders in media, leaders in science, leaders in technology, leaders in education? That, that leadership in each and every one of those fields needs to be leveraged uh, and, and that will uh, benefit uh, society, which will then Islam will get the credit and Muslims will gain their rights that way. That's our theory of change for joining us and from me and our team here at AMT, Hadiya Spalic and Maya Gaylor. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok at American Muslim Today. And if you'd like to read more about this story and access more digital content, feel free to check out our website, AmericanMuslimToday.com. See you next week.